Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslender. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on May 21st, 2023. We are nearing the end of the uh, um, Gospel of Luke and we're seeing that all the various forces are coming together and converging, leading to Jesus on the cross. He's completed all of his public teaching. By this time, he still has a few things left to pass on to his disciples. Opposition to Jesus has grown, and there are now specific plans to kill him. His disciples, as you might expect, are scared but valiant, except for the compromiser and the hypocrite who opened himself up to Satan. Jesus himself knows what's about to happen. He knows he's going to be arrested and crucified, and he knows that as God, remember that's who he is, he knows that as God, he is willingly offering himself as a sacrifice so that all of us might have eternal life. So none of this, Judas, the opposition, none of this catches him unawares. He knew it was coming, and he wanted it to come because that's the reason that he came. But on the same hand, his human side, and remember he was both God and man, though he knows it's God's will, he dreads the pain, he dreads the separation from God, and he dreads the human experience of death. His heart, though, is with his disciples, and he spends the evening teaching them, loving them, helping them, showing them what love is, teaching them what to do so they'll never forget what's about to happen. It's his very last evening on earth before his crucifixion. And as you'll see in the passage, much is going on. But before we read the passage, I want you to be introduced to the various characters we will read about. So we'll start with the Jewish leaders. They seem to be respectful, law and order, respectable people. But they close their ears to Jesus. They close their eyes to biblical truth. Their anger has turned to hate. They can't shut Jesus up and his growing popularity threatens them. So now they've decided to move it to the final step. They've been religious enemies of Jesus from day one, and now they're crossing the line to murder. Legal murder, of course, because they were using the laws of the day, but murder just the same, to kill an innocent man. And so they decide to have him crucified. The next character we'll read about is unseen, but evident throughout the story, Satan. Satan opposed God from the very beginning, and so, of course, he opposed Jesus. He tempted Jesus. He sent demons his way to harass him, and he led many people to shut their ears and eyes and turn away from Jesus. And in our passage today, He uses the betrayal of one of Jesus' own disciples to lead to his death. 
And you'll note that Scripture specifically says that Satan enters into Judas, one of the twelve, trusted enough that he was their treasurer, but his compromise and his hypocrisy is so deep that by this time in the story, it's pretty hard to even understand all of his motivations. Then, of course, in the story, there are the disciples. They can be, and they were at times, lovable, brave, and wise. At other times, they came across as cowardly with the attention span and understanding of a two-year-old. Like us, they are impossibly human with all of the strengths and weaknesses included in humanity. But they are deeply loved by God, even despite their shortcomings. And then in the story, there are some unnamed disciples. They're relatively minor characters, and you might just pass right over them. But they did the job that Jesus gave them. And they led the disciples to a secure place where Jesus could meet with his disciples the last time before he was arrested. Then, of course, there's Simon Peter. Bold, boastful, brash, and overly confident in his commitment and talent level. Like some of us, his mouth frequently got him into trouble. But like all the disciples, he is deeply loved. And then, of course, there's Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, about to undergo the worst trial imaginable for God to die. It's the worst thing anybody has ever faced on earth. But even in the face of that, he spends the evening teaching his disciples to love, to serve, and to remember what life is all about. So those are the characters in the story we're about to read. I want you to to think about them so as we read the story, it will make more sense to you. So now let's stand. We're going to read Luke chapter 22, beginning with verse 1. And I want you to pay attention. It's a little longer passage than I normally read, but a powerful one and very important as it leads to the cross. Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to take a really quick break. I'm going to kneel to pray or tie my shoes before I trip. I'm not sure which one I'm going to do. Let's read Luke 22, verse 1. Now the festival of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching. And the chief priest and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asked, where is the guest room 
where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They begin to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I will confer on you a kingdom, just as my Father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Then Jesus asked them, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered. He said to them, but now if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. The disciples said, see, Lord, here are two swords. That's enough, he replied. You may be seated. And as you can see, there are many lessons to be taught. Everything is coming together. The Jewish leaders had moved from anger to hatred to a plan, and now they're moving on to execution. They found a traitor, not knowing, maybe not even caring that they were partnering with Satan. The disciples celebrated Passover at an unknown location. Jesus had designed that so Judas couldn't betray them until he had completed his last night of teaching. And while there, Jesus warned them of treachery. He taught of suffering and death. He showed them what to do so that they would always remember his crucifixion. And he taught the nature of real leadership and real love. Now, that's a lot to unpack. And I know your screen says seven key lessons. But as I wrote the sermon, I realized I, cut, uh, I, I, I made it way, way, way too long. 
So as an act of mercy to the congregation, I've cut it down to three key lessons today, and you've got to come back next week for part two of the sermon, because I really do want you to understand all that is happening and to learn lessons from this night. And the first lesson I want you to learn is a lesson from the Jewish leaders themselves. Do be ready for real opposition. Now, this is a hard lesson that we need to learn. Whenever God's work is being done, there will be opposition to Jesus and his followers. Jesus faced incredible opposition. Satan had thrown demons, troubling people, tough situations, anger, hatred, and now he's ready to crucify him. The disciples would face much the same. Almost all of the disciples were martyred for their faith. So here's the truth. Whenever God is at work, especially when God is doing something incredible and amazing, there will be opposition. Now I want you to hear something from me. Today, the American church is not facing much real opposition. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of angry words. But most of what we're hearing is friendly fire. One branch of the church fighting another branch of the church. One member holding a grudge against another member. One Christian arguing and debating almost to the point of hatred on some minor point of doctrine. What we're seeing today is not persecution. Friendly fire is just a tool that Satan uses to distract us from serving Jesus. When God's people overcome the friendly fire and we stop arguing with each other, like the disciples did in the early church in the book of Acts when it says they were all in one accord, when that happens, you can expect two things. One is incredible revival in an act of God. We can all get on the same side and say our enemy is not each other, but our enemy is Satan, and we're going to conquer him through the power of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then God can do great things in the church. But we also need to be ready to face opposition. So why don't we have much opposition today? Because as a church, we're not accomplishing a whole lot. We're not seeing people come to faith in Jesus in huge numbers. Listen. I pray every day almost that a real revival, a spiritual awakening will break out in America. And I hope you join me in that prayer. But as I'm praying that, I'm recognizing when that happens, we will face opposition. It's just part of the reality, Old Testament, New Testament. When God does something amazing, Satan tries to stop it and he throws opposition. So I'm praying for revival, and that might make it tougher for us, but I do so because I have this very basic belief in a fight between Jesus and Satan, who's going to win? That was a real question. Yeah, you're allowed to answer. Thank you for those who did. Listen, let me ask it again. In a fight between Jesus and Satan, who's going to win? 
So we need to get on the front lines and talk to people about Jesus. We're doing everything but then take the gospel to the streets, but we need to be out there believing in Jesus in one accord, holding hands, such to speak, with all true believers in the gospel. Stop picking on each other. Stop fighting with each other. Stop making secondary issues the main issue because the main issue is and always will be the world is lost. We need Jesus. He loves us and anyone who calls on his name will be given eternal life. The world doesn't know that's our message. They hear our morality and they hear our politics and they hear our fights. Had a conversation with a lady in the parking lot just last week during the, 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 the food, or a couple weeks ago during the, the food distribution, and I gave her a Bible and invited her to come and worship with us. And her question was, so, so what kind of church are you? Meaning, what denomination? And I said, understand this about it. It's not about the denomination. It's about Jesus. I mean, we are Avondale Baptist Church. That's her name. That's who we are. But what we are really about is Jesus. And as a result of that, we love God, we love people, and we follow Jesus. We need to get that message out there because the world has heard something different. And so we need to be ready when it happens. When we start talking to people about Jesus, it won't be personal opposition. It'll be, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe in God. And they will fight against us. But Jesus will win, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit on our side. We, we may sometime in the future go through the book of Acts, and we will see how the disciples got bolder and came together in one accord. God spoke through them, did a great revival. Opposition came from every corner, but Jesus and his people were successful. Are you ready for opposition? Thank you, Jeremy. Are the rest of you ready for opposition? Then get out there and stop talking politics and start talking Jesus. And we'll see what God can do. And stop making pot shots at other believers and complaints and whining and grumbling. And hold hands together with other believers and proclaim Jesus. And we'll see God do some great things. But we need to be ready for opposition. It's a lesson from the Jewish leaders. Now, here's a lesson from Judas. Don't compromise. Because compromise leads to hypocrisy and ultimately to disaster. Listen, Judas should scare every believer in Jesus in every church because in every way, shape, or form, Judas looked like a disciple. He was a disciple. And did you notice when Jesus said, there's a traitor in our midst? They didn't all point to Judas. Apparently, no, nobody even thought it was him. He was the trusted keeper of the money bag. When people gave money to the ministry, he was the one that carried the bag. That's how trusted he was. He would pay for their supplies. No one thought he was a traitor. They could have picked on some of the others. And what a scene this must have been and how much drama there when Jesus said, look, there's a traitor here and they're looking around and there's only 12 of them. My hunch, someone thought, it's got to be Peter. The guy is such a loud mouth. It's got to be Peter. Maybe someone else, it's Thomas. That guy has doubts about everything. He's not a real disciple. Maybe it was hot-headed James. 
The guy's a temper. He can't be real. Maybe it was the other James. James, the son of Alphaeus, James, the less. They're thinking, that guy never said anything. Maybe it's him. But the traitor was Judas. He stole a little from the money bag. The Gospels tell us. Never enough to get caught. That compromise led to more compromise. And then it went into full-blown hypocrisy. And then real spiritual disaster. Woe to him, Jesus said. I don't want ever that to be said about me or about you or about us. Woe to him, Jesus said. Because he has turned against me. So listen, that's why you and I need to build some spiritual disciplines into our lives so that it doesn't happen. We need to regularly evaluate us. We are way too good at evaluating them. We need to take a hard look at me, admit my sin, confess it to God and to anyone I've hurt, and repent of it before God, before it expands. Don't rationalize sin. Don't spiritualize sin. Don't justify sin. Don't ignore sin. And don't ignore the commands of the Bible either. The commands to love, to serve, to give, to forgive, to respect. Because failing to do the right thing is as big a sin as doing the wrong thing. An unrepented sin will take you much further than you ever thought you would go. And so we build those spiritual disciplines into our lives. We admit our sin. We confess it to God. We repent of it. We recommit every time and as soon as possible. And then we won't face the woe of Judas. I hear the stories all the time. A husband started with innocent flirting. And ultimately... It destroyed his entire family. A pastor neglected his spiritual life. And ultimately, the church was destroyed. A businessman cheated just a little, and then a little more, and had to lie to cover up the sins, then lie to cover up the lies. And now he's in jail. A wife, a mom, drank a little too much, became an addict, and lost the respect of every single family member. A man with an uncontrolled temper who never dealt with it ended up beating someone he loved. His family left him. He lost his job. And he lives on the street with no one, seemingly, who cares for him. Those are all stories I've heard in my own office. Not everyone gets caught in this life. But God knows who we are. The other 11 disciples didn't know that Judas was a traitor. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew. And he's the one we live for. So it doesn't matter if we can confound our church and hide it from our family and be so good at it that even our spouse doesn't know. God always knows. 
And so learn this lesson from Judas. Don't compromise. Because ultimately it leads to hypocrisy, then you're living two lives, and ultimately it leads to spiritual and often earthly disaster as well. And then lesson number three from the disciples. Jesus taught them to seek to serve, not to seek to lead. Now, now think of the complete lack of awareness and understanding by the disciples. Jesus had just pointed out there's a traitor in the midst. And maybe as a result of that conversation, there's a way to prove to themselves and others that they weren't the traitor. They began to argue who is the greatest, and you began to hear from the disciples, I'm the greatest, I'm the most spiritual, I'm the most godly, I should lead this group. And just knowing the, the, the various personality types of the disciples, you can imagine maybe behind the scenes what was said. And maybe it was Peter who spoke first. Hey, listen, I know when the Bible is written, my name is going to be first on every list of disciples in the Bible. You know why? Because I am the greatest. You can imagine John jumping in. Peter, you're just a loudmouth. Listen, when I write my gospel, I will clarify, I am the beloved disciple. I'm the greatest. James steps in and says, little brother, be quiet. Yes, Jesus loves you because you're the youngest of the group and you are so cute. But leadership requires a real man, I am the greatest. Andrew jumps in. James, be quiet. You're just a man with a big mouth and a big temper. Leadership. Well, think about it. I was there at the beginning. I was there at the very beginning. I was the first to follow Jesus. I was there at the baptism. Peter, I had to come tell you about Jesus. I'm the first and therefore the greatest. Matthew jumps in. Listen, before you guys even were serving Jesus, I had already proven myself with a job that requires personal skills, mature judgment, and real education. I was a tax collector. What were you guys? Oh, yeah, fishermen. Listen, leadership is for professionals. I'm the greatest. And in the midst of this, Jesus jumped in and said, Stop! The greatest among you is not the one who leads, but the one who serves. The greatest among you is not necessarily the old and the wise, but a young one who is learning, trusting, and serving. The greatest is not necessarily the man in front, but the guy who does the hard jobs, the unnoticed but necessary jobs, the little things that make all the difference. Stop arguing about being great. In my kingdom, the greatest are the servants. So according to Jesus, a nursery worker might outrake a pastor. A greeter might outrank a worship leader. A junior high teacher with only four students might outrank a YouTube Bible teacher and influencer with 100,000 followers. 
Our job is to faithfully serve God, our church, our family, and even strangers. And let God take care of the rankings. It doesn't matter who's number one. It doesn't matter who's number 477. We're just called to serve God, to do what God has called us to do to the very best of our ability. Instead of, I'm number one, it ought to be, I'm too busy serving to notice. Now, there are many lessons in this passage, and we will cover more next week. Right now, I want to ask you to respond in two very biblical ways. How do we respond? And I'll talk more about this first one next week. But I want you to know what, what Jesus was teaching them in the way he did the Passover and then the Lord's Supper and then the teaching. He was saying to his followers, listen, I want you to focus on me above all else. Focus on Jesus. See what I'm about to do for you because I love you. And then don't ever, ever forget it. As a matter of fact, I'm going to give you something to do to take bread and juice. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper today. So you will never forget what life is all about. It's not about politics. It's not about money. It's not about recreation. It's not about the economy. Our primary focus as Jesus followers needs to be on Jesus himself. Believing in him. Loving him. Loving all people in his name. Telling people about him and doing exactly what he has told us to do. Hey, listen, I know how life works. If you're like me, you get extremely busy, and your to-do list is like this, and your time to do it is like this. Got a busy church, a lot of hurting people, a lot of needy people. In my own family, I have a wife, a mom to take care of, nine children, nine grandchildren. It's really easy to get unfocused on Jesus and focus on a thousand other things that need to be done. What Jesus is teaching us is simple. Focus on me. Think about me. Believe in me. Love me. Serve me. Talk about me. I want to be your focus. And he proved that he was worthy of that. On the very next day, he went out and he died on a cross so that we might have everlasting life. So focus on Jesus above all else. And then serve God. Serve your church. Serve your family. And serve a stranger this week. Don't worry about applause. Because oftentimes when you're doing what Jesus called you to do, nobody even notices doesn't matter. Jesus knows. And he's the only one I care about getting any kind of applause from. But I don't even care about that. I just want him to know that I love him and I want to serve him. So serve Jesus. Serve your church. I mean, God's given us all talents and abilities, so all of us should have a job in the church. And we ought to be able to say, this is my role in the church. This is what God has called me to do. And it may be up front. It may be in the back. Maybe God knows. Maybe Pastor Jack knows. Maybe nobody knows but me. This is my role. This is what God has called me to do. You serve your church. You serve your family. Way too many arguments, again, in the family today about who's in charge. Quit worrying about who's in charge. Just serve your family. Love your family. And God will work out those details according to his word. And then even serve a stranger. 
Because people out there need to know that they are loved. And the way to show them real love is to help them, serve them, make a difference in their lives. So two lessons. We'll get more next week from this passage. Focus on Jesus above all else. Serve God, your church, your family, and a stranger. That's what Jesus taught us. That's how Jesus lived. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net and you can find Pastor Jack's sermons on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.